think you're singing that song that and if Jesus wanted to come back right now that's a okay that doesn't make you excited to sing that song I really bring into question whether you have a pulse at this very moment he is lifted high that is so key for what we're about to read church and I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2 starting in verse 5 we're going to go through verse 9 Hebrews chapter 2 starting in verse 5 and if you are using a pew bible this morning it's on page 1001 we would love for you to use that bible today if you need a bible you are welcome to take that bible home with you please read um, read God's word and may you become acquainted with Christ Jesus more and more Hebrews chapter 2 starting in verse 5 For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, He left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you that you are alive forevermore. You are in power. You reign. And Christ, your son, came to live on this earth. The name of Jesus became a man so that he could die, so that he could taste death for us. Lord, we needed somebody to drink fully the cup of wrath. And only Jesus could do this. And he fully consumed what was inside the cup of wrath. He took it upon himself. He made a payment on the cross, not to Satan, not to us, but to you, so that we could be your children, so that we could call you Daddy, Father, that we could look to Christ as Lord, and that we could be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we may implore others to hear the good news, they too would trust in you and follow you. God, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, as we dig into your word this morning, I ask that the hearts will be open to receive the word today, that you bring forth salvation. God, to you be the glory. We thank you that we're here in this place today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Order in the midst of chaos, that is what we're looking at today here in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5. I I loved going to the circus as a kid. Um, Mom would take me there in Macon to the Coliseum, quite a big place, a big circus would come to town, and the lights would dim, and uh, you'd have vendors selling all the little glowing things, neon lights, and, and I had to have whatever was glowing in the building. 
and then also they would sell cotton candy, and I had to have a bag of cotton candy, and, and then they would sell these little mugs, and, and they were little elephant mugs, and, and I had to have a little elephant mug. I had to have everything that went along with the circus, and then we would sit in our seats, and all of a sudden the circus would begin, and, and out would come the, the clowns, right? Um, and, and kids loved clowns back in the 80s, okay? Um, but then, thank you, Stephen King, no longer do people like clowns. And, um, and I don't know if we have a picture of a clown. Do we have that picture of the clown? No, no picture. But we have somebody in our uh, congregation uh, who dressed up like a clown. I'll say it's Angela Bell. And there's a picture floating around today. You have to see when she was dressed up as a clown back in the 80s. But now, thank you, to Stephen King, people don't like clowns. In fact, clowns... Uh, People have a true phobia of clowns. It's called coulrophobia. That is a real phobia. It's people who are afraid of clowns. Can I get a witness in here if you're afraid of clowns? Okay, be bold. Okay, all right, there you go. All right, so anytime there's a circus, you're not going to enjoy it because clowns come out and, and there's about five of them that are piled in this little car and they come out and I was always amazed by that. And then next would come these big, huge elephants. Okay, such power, such might and, and skill and precision. I mean, uh, a school would be good to have a mascot as an elephant, I think. And, and so you have these elephants come in, and then they're, um, you know, they come through, and they do all their tricks. And I'm thinking, man, that, that was amazing. You should love to watch that. And then you'd have the guy who would get in the ring with, with a tiger, and then he'd light a ring on fire, and the tiger would jump back and forth through the hoop, and that was just amazing. But then my favorite part was towards the end, the people who would climb up to the top, and they grab hold um, of these bars, and they would go across the trapeze artist. And I loved watching them in, in the acrobatic display, and it was just amazing to think of what if, what if they fell? And, and if they fell, there was a, a net to catch them, but still it was so daring to watch them. And that was like the main act, the main attraction at the end. You, you know, if you've ever been to a circus, you love to watch the trapeze artist. And, and I want you to just kind of hold that today in your mind as, as we're looking at order in the midst of chaos. Because church, God has chosen us and set us aside for his glory. And our world is pretty chaotic. And because of that, people are saying, there is no God. Uh, there is no Jesus. We don't see him. We can't touch him. We can't feel him. We can't hear him. So obviously he's not real. But as we just sang, he's alive. He's risen. He's true, but how will the world see in the midst of chaos? Well, through us, God works in an amazing way. And we're going to see how all this was laid out. But it's just like watching those trapeze artists. I mean, they do something that's quite amazing where people go, wow. And, and when people look at the church, they should go, wow, I, I see God at work. And all of this for his glory. You see... In the beginning, as we read here in 5 through 8, it wasn't to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. So when God created a world, he didn't take angels and say, okay, here, you are to rule over earth. No, he didn't do that. He created man. And in creating man, he took Adam and Eve and he put them in charge of creation. He said, all things are under your control. And this was by his design that he created them. In Genesis chapter 5, at the end of verse 1 and going into verse 2, it says, when God created man, he made him in the likeness 
of God. Okay? In his own likeness. And he made them male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man, which in Hebrew is Adam, when they were created. So he takes man and woman and he says, okay, now you are in control of all of creation. They didn't have to fear, okay, creation. Um, When they went to sleep at night, there was no fear. They, They weren't locking any doors. No, they were out in the open. Everything was safe. There was no sickness among them. They didn't have to worry about catching a cold or catching RSV or whatever else would, would go around, okay? Um, what's the, the measles right now that's going across our nation or, or that's in the news? They didn't have to worry about those things. No, they, they were at peace. They didn't have to worry about any confrontation with animals, okay? If, if you're one of those people um, that like to watch those shows where people have encounters with animals and, and barely escape with their lives, and, and you enjoy that. There's something sick about that, okay? But see, they, they, they didn't have that trouble. There was, there was nothing wrong with them, nothing wrong with creation. Everything was perfect. No worries, no fears, no anxieties. This question, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him, This is looking back to Psalm chapter 8 when David wrote this. And it's this very question, this very thought that Satan comes in what we see as chapter 3 of Genesis. And he attacks Adam and Eve right at the core of this thought of what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him. You see, he attacks this thought and man is tempted to think of himself more highly than he ought to. Okay, so in Romans 12, 3, we see, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has assigned a measure of faith. We're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We are to think with sober judgment. Well, It wasn't sober judgment right at the tree of life and death. In fact, man became drunk with self. I want you to take a bite. Go ahead. Take a bite of the fruit. There's fruit all around, but this this one tree. In that moment when Eve reaches out, and then she gives some to her husband who was with her, That's right. Remember, Adam was standing passively by. Okay, wife, you go first. You take the first bite. That's where we husbands get our passivity from, right? Where we're weak, okay? I'll I'll just let you lead, honey. I'm not the leading type. That, That was Adam in that moment, okay? They were filled with self. And in a moment, standing before the tree of life and death, Man consumed the lies. He became drunk with self, and he bit into the fruit of death. And from that moment, that very moment, life on earth would never be the same. You never got to enjoy this part of of, of life. I never got to enjoy this. No, we come at a later time, but for Adam and Eve, life would never be the same. And everybody who comes after them, it would never be the same 
man was immediately chained to death. Can't get away from it. So this bite, this bite of the fruit was not a bite of freedom, but a bite into slavery. Not free to live a life of sin, but imprisoned to a life of sin. Isn't it interesting when people say, I don't need religion, because religion's a, cr- a crutch. I-, I don't need God. I don't need all this God talk. You know, I'm free to live as I want to live. But no, you're not free to live as you want to live. You're dead in your sins. And you're chained to death. So if you're here today and you have no relationship with Jesus, you don't have freedom. You're enslaved to a yoke of sin. So everything that you do in life, every thought that you have go through your mind, every action is under the yoke of slavery of sin. You have no other options, no other choice. You can't outthink sin. Sin's your master. And it happened at that first bite. Even after putting everything in subjection under his feet, it was not enough for man. God gave man something very special. It was priceless, something even the angels, even the angels didn't have. And he traded it over, falling for the lie that man can be in charge and be his own God. You're tempted with it. I'm tempted with it every day. We're born with this nature. Man traded life for death. He traded freedom for bondage. And he traded order for chaos. And so now chaos would enter into the world. And it wouldn't be long before there's the first murder. And I can imagine, it doesn't say in Scripture, but after God comes to Adam and Eve and says, Who told you you were naked? And then Adam completely points to God and says, well, the woman you created, and then he throws Eve under the bus. I can imagine that evening, that relationship wasn't at its finest, right? And so now, all of a sudden, there's this relationship problem between man and woman. It's not easy anymore. Adam would say, you remember the days when we just always got along? I mean, we we never fought, and now it seems like we're always fighting we're disgruntled. I'm having to work to, to, to please you, and you're, you're not doing enough to please me. Like, you need to carry your weight around here, Eve. Maybe some of those conversations were taking place. They sound familiar to you. Now relationships are broken. Everything's in chaos. Now they have to fear animals. They, have to, they can't sleep peaceably at night. They have to sleep with one eye open. Their son commits a a horrific act towards his other brother right in the beginning. So murder is fresh on the scene. The world is chaotic. And so the order that was established from the very beginning is now disrupted. And so man would attempt to lead under the yoke of sin and has ever since, every society, every culture, man tries to lead, but it's under the yoke of sin, which means disaster awaits. See, the first Adam brought us all down with him. You know, we're, we're told to be careful who you associate yourself with. You know, you shouldn't go hang out with them because I don't like the, the things that they do. I remember as a, as a kid, only in fifth grade, hanging out with some friends and had an older brother, and all of a sudden when he came in, he 
pulled something out of his pocket that was wrapped in tinfoil, and he said, hey, guys, you, you need to try this. I ran. I was terrified. I'm thankful for parents who said, hey, I'm thankful for D.A.R.E. program, okay, um, that, that said, hey, stay away from drugs. No, just, just run. And, and I remember that influence and thinking, if I hang out with these guys, I'm going to have similar results. Well, we have someone older than us, someone who came before us, that being Adam. And when he took a bite into that fruit, it ruined it for all of us. It, it brought us down. And so you can't get away from Adam. He's your kin. Okay? He's blood. All of us are related to Adam. Everybody in this room, it doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, male or female, you come from Adam. And because he fell, we all have fallen. We're all simple under this yoke of, of sin. Which leads us to glorify what we enjoy most. We still give glory. We still worship. We haven't stopped worshiping. Adam and Eve didn't stop worshiping in the garden. No, they were kicked out. They continued to worship. They continued to glorify. But the thing is, they glorify what they enjoyed most. And under the yoke of slavery, it isn't God. If you're reading the 50 reasons for the cross, why Jesus had to come and, and die by John Piper, you picked up one of those books and, and we're reading that between now and Good Friday, you'll see that on, on the first day, this quote, we glorify what we enjoy most and it isn't God. And when we hear that, that offends us and we go, but hold on a second, I've always loved God. You may have acknowledged God, but that true love in your heart is not from you. That, that, is, that is from the first Adam. It's not from the first Adam. It's from the second Adam. But you come from the first Adam. There's a sin nature which leads us to glorify things that aren't God. And so we live lives that can appear wholesome and good. Just, just good. I mean, when we're talking about glorifying things, I'm not just talking about easy things that we could point out to say, oh, that's just pure evil. I mean, family. We could glorify family over God. My wife and I right now, we're watching a TV sh series. She started watching it, and then I kind of got dragged into it, okay? And that's that how it happens on Netflix, all right? And so we're watching this, and it's interesting because these families that are on this show, they acknowledge religion, they acknowledge going to church, but they, they miss it. I mean, it's, it's nothing of, of glorifying God. They're, they're distant from it. It's very interesting to watch because I think this is, this is many, these are many families around us who may go to church, but they completely miss it. Because the worship is the, the family. It's all about family. Well, we go to church because of the, the family. It makes us feel good. Like we enjoy being together. It's, it's relationships. You may worship relationships. You may worship your job. You may worship your, your hobbies. There are many things that we can find to, to glorify that are good. They, they, they produce good results. I mean, we can't argue with them. But the problem is that it's not glorifying to God. God's not at the root of it. We find ourselves there. We find someone else there. And this is man. We like to glorify things, but things that aren't God. We don't enjoy God the most. No, but in, 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 and let me tell you how we know this too. Just listen to how you talk about heaven. You ever hear somebody talk about heaven? Just have a conversation around the table today and talk about heaven and see if God is anywhere in that conversation. Because I love talking about heaven. I love thinking forward to where we'll be 
home, but many times, even as the church, even in your community groups, we'll talk about heaven, and God's nowhere to be found in that conversation. He's absent. How can you have heaven without God? You see, it's, it's right there. It's ingrained with, within us. And so because of this, because we're under this yoke of slavery, and we can't do it ourselves, we can't please God, we can't come to God on our own, we need to associate ourselves with someone better than the first Adam. We need to break away from him. It is possible to break away from the first Adam. We need someone who brings order in the midst of chaos, and this one is Jesus, who comes as the second Adam. So follow with me. There's four things that we're going to point out here that you're going to see, and here's the first one. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. You say, is he talking about man? Is he talking about Jesus? Well, we'll see at the end, this is talking about, ultimately, Jesus. Nothing is left outside of his control. Even when Jesus came to live on this earth, he didn't stop being God. Now, he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself a humble servant, and he came to live among us, but he was still in control. Jesus wasn't weak. Jesus wasn't frail. Jesus wasn't beaten or defeated. No, he was in control of everything that happened while he was here on this earth, even to the point of him giving his life. John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So God the Father gives God the Son the authority to give his life. So Jesus becomes a man. Jesus lived on this earth. He walked on this earth. He truly gave his life while here on this earth. He became man so that he could die. That's why he became man. But in all of this, he was in control. And now, even now, everything is under his control. So death doesn't have to have authority over you. Satan doesn't have to be your master. No, you can be under a new yoke, under the freedom of Christ. So the first thing we see is he left nothing outside of his control. The second thing is at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. And we say, amen to that. I mean, we're glad that Jesus is in control, but just look at the world around us. I mean, it's in chaos. It's in shambles. Just look at the immorality of our country. It's bound to happen through time. I'm not saying that Christians, we're just lazy and, and sit back and say, well, it's bound to happen. It's just going to happen. Let's do nothing. No, we continue to advance the gospel because the gospel is the only thing that's going to bring about change. But we look at our culture, we look at the world and wars, terrorism. You watch the news and you can become quite afraid. You see division in our own country. You see attack on leadership. You look at the homes. You see the separation within homes. You see a desperate attempt to bring true intimacy in the home and, and a failure at that on the big screen. You see all of these things, and, and there's just chaos all around us, and we can be left standing going, God, are you really in control here? I mean, does Jesus really reign? I mean, why are all these things happening? Why am I sick right now? Why am I dealing with sickness? Why are we dealing with death? 
while my dealing with this heartbreak, I mean, it was just Valentine's Day, and it was a terrible day because everybody's in love, and I'm not, right? This brokenness, this chaos all around us, and we can question whether God's in control or not. And yet, He is. He reigns supreme. This effect that we see, everything going on in our world, comes from the first Adam. All this brokenness, which means when they took that first bite, it meant that we would not live forever on this earth. That changed. That changed. And so there's going to be a a new heaven and a, a new earth. Christ is going to return. But while we're here, there's still going to be chaos. So if you're a Christian... And you're saying, but I can't understand why I have this or why this is going on. It's, it's because sin brings forth death. Sin brings forth brokenness. And we still live in this world. And we need order. So where's order going to come from? First, it comes from Christ as everything is under His control. So we have all these circumstances that we deal with that would even lead us as the church to go, God, are, are you really still in control? Because I didn't think you'd allow this to happen to me. Romans eight sixteen and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, it is, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. What if your salvation dealt more with suffering than it did with happiness. Would you still be all about it? Would you say yes to to God be the glory? If I can suffer for Christ for His name's sake, yes, I will follow Jesus. That's the message. It's not, hey, come to Jesus and everything is going to be just fine. Like, in fact, if you follow faithfully and you give your money, then God's going to bless you. You'll have nicer cars, you'll have bigger houses, you'll wear nicer clothes, and good things are to be given to you because that's what God's going to give you if you obey. Is that really the gospel? No, it's not. That's what we coin the prosperity gospel that's sweeping our nation and even exists within this building. You see, we like to point to the Joel Osteen's of the world, but it, it exists right here too. It's in our hearts. We expect God to give us things if we're obedient. That's prosperity gospel. Hey, just give, if I'm obeying, you give me, God. Instead of, I will suffer for your name's sake. I will carry the gospel. What a privilege it is to be counted yours, your child, adopted and set free. That's the greatest gift I could ever have. I don't need anything else, God. Just that standing of righteousness. Amen. That's it. I'm good. I will suffer for your name's sake. Romans 8, 16 and 17. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Because we are headed to a place of glorification where there will be no more chaos. That's to come, church. There are good things to come. So don't put all your hope here. This isn't home. This isn't forever. This isn't eternity here on this earth. No, we are headed to be with Him, to be glorified for His glory for His name's sake. And so, although there's a lot of chaos around us, there is a purpose for us being here on this earth. And we can have joy in all of these things. See, we're mistaken if we think that we can only have joy in happy times. 
No, you can have joy as you struggle as well. In 1 John 5, 4 and 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That's a statement. That is truth. That's not just saying, hey, that's a suggestion. If you're a Christian, you'll, you'll maybe overcome the world. No, if you've been born of God, you overcome this chaos. Like you can have control in the midst of chaos. You can have a hope and a purpose. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. That's our victory. Our faith. That you can have faith and I can have faith. This is is the victory. So if it's tangible things for you, you're off base. Oh, the victory is our faith which has been given to us. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Here's a question for you. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe He is? Or he isn't. There's not some happy medium there. And if you believe, truly believe that he is, and you place your faith and trust in him, you overcome this world. We see this faith carried out in Hebrews chapter 11. We will get there down the road, but verse 3 of Hebrews 11, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So if you're having a conversation with somebody who says, okay, give me evidence Give me proof that God created the world. Take them to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, and say, you want the evidence? You want the proof? It's how I live my life, because I have faith that it was by the Word of God that He spoke this world into existence. And there's no second second guessing that. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You have the faith. Is Jesus the Son of God? He comes and everything is under Him, but it may not look that way all the time, but it doesn't mean that it's out of His control. Verse 9, But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely, Jesus. Jesus, this word, Jesus, his name Jesus. We call Him Jesus. This was His earthly name. This means He became man. This was His name given to Him when He came here on earth, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So putting in this in, in context, as we see that there would be people attacking the church and saying the angels are better than this Jesus, the Messiah. Angels are better. Well, angels cannot die. And so they're looking to Jesus saying, he died. So see, angels are better. So you're wasting your time following Jesus. This was first century. You're wasting your time following Jesus. Angels are better. You know, angels, true, cannot die. But Jesus became Jesus, man, so that he could die. Yeah, true, angels cannot die, but angels also cannot take on your sin on their own behalf and pay it in full so that you can stand before God and be judged not guilty for all that you know you have done against him. Angels can't do that. Jesus did. So see, when Jesus came to die, just because he died doesn't mean that he's weak. doesn't mean that he, he failed. It did not disqualify him from being God. Only God could reconcile the world to himself. You see, because of all the chaos, we're in need of great reconciliation. And only God brings 
the reconciliation. And the suffering of death brought reconciliation. Read with me 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. You hear it clearly? You see that? All this is from God. Who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If anybody ever asks you, what ministry are you involved in? I'm involved in the ministry of reconciliation. I have been reconciled. I'm part of the ministry of reconciliation. How? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is everybody who's in the church, ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is our message. As you reach out to the 12 church, as you go and share the gospel this week, this ministry of reconciliation, God is working through you to make this appeal. Be reconciled unto God. Be made new under Christ. Because for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The only way you are righteous is because he became sin for you. So he paid this for us. He was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. He suffered for you. Christian, you can take full confidence in that. He suffered in your place. So that, number four, last one, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Second Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, who is alive forevermore, King of kings, Lord of lords, he came and suffered death. He tasted death so that you could be alive. Have a relationship with the Lord and all this chaos which we live in would not consume us and triumph over us, but that we would be more than conquerors in Christ. And this only happens because he tasted death for us. We deserve to taste death. Church, we deserve death. Yes, we do. To be judged guilty. Yes, we do. Nothing we have done in and of ourselves could merit anything else. No other judgment. No, that we must die. That's owed to us. That's what should be given to us. If we think that God should give us anything else, that's a sense of entitlement based on what? No, we deserve this death. But Jesus comes and He tastes death for us, meaning that He takes the cup of God's wrath, which would be poured out fully on us, and He begins to drink it. And He drinks all of it. This cup of wrath. Why? Because God hates sin. He hates it that He would send His one and only Son to die, to take on our sin, 
Someone had to be punished fully, and Jesus was the one. Peter even tries to stand up in the garden and say, I will fight for you. We can do this. And it's the heart of the first Adam to pick up a sword. And and read with me here. John chapter 18, starting in verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. I mean, the poor guy's name was Malchus, and he strikes off his ear. No. Why did Peter do that? Because he was ready. They were coming to arrest Jesus, and and Peter said, "I I will die for you. He did make that statement. I will die for you, Jesus. And so Peter gets his sword and says, I will fight. With what heart? With what motivation? With the motivation of the first Adam. And Jesus knows that that's not good because if if we win this small battle and we can't, all I can do is speak one word and we're done here. We're finished with this business and we can keep going on. His kingdom's not of this world. So it was not worth fighting in that moment because Jesus is saying, you can fight, but I'm, I'm giving myself over. It's with their wicked hearts that they're coming after me. But the overall plan of God is that I'm laying down my life. This is the gospel. So Peter takes his sword and he strikes. And if he really had that precision to cut off the ear, I would be highly impressed. I mean, maybe he was going for his head and he missed. But he brings out this sword. And this is what Jesus says in verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup? that the Father has given me? Peter, I must drink of this cup because your works are not good enough. You waving this sword around is not going to bring salvation. That's not how it works. I came on this earth. They called me Jesus. I became man so that I could die for you. And I'm going to drink this cup. And I'm going to drink every last drop. And he did. He did. He drank it fully on the cross, all of God's wrath unleashed against him there so that those whom he died for can be set free. Set free. You know, there's nothing worse than someone eating off your plate, right? Go to the restaurant today at lunch and you sit down and you look through the menu and you're excited, you're ready to eat. You pick out what you want. I'll take a number two, please, with sweet tea and everything you want. And then the person next to you goes, I'll just have a drink, that's all. I'm just going to do a drink. I'm I'm not going to eat. No, I'm not going to do that. But then midway through the meal, all of a sudden they start eyeing your french fries. You know what I'm saying? And you know it's coming. You know it's coming. Hey, hey, do you mind if I just have one bite of your fries? They look so good. They have that nice little uh, salt on them. Can, can Can I have some? Can I have one, I mean? They take that fry and they eat it, and they say, oh, man, that is really good. Thank you so much. Oh, are you going to finish those fries, or are you gonna, you're just going to leave them there? Oh, don't, don't leave them. I'll help you. And then before you know it, they have invested fully into your fries, right? All right? And you go, leave my food alone. Like, I can handle this. I don't need you to come eating off my plate. You know, when you look to Jesus, and here he has this cup of wrath, leads him to the cross. We have a tendency to say, hey, Jesus, can you mind if I have a sip of that? you mind if I help you drink all that? I mean, I I can help. I mean, you know, I've done a lot of good things. And and if you'll just let me have a sip, you don't don't have to drink all of that. I I, I can have some too, right? 
No, you can't. Because even if Jesus would have left just one drop left remaining for you, it would have killed you for all of eternity. You can't help Jesus. You can't help what he did on the cross. He took that cup and he drank every last bit. And also, your assurance of your salvation is this. He left nothing remaining. So do you say, I know he forgave me of my sins, but this one sin I'm really struggling with, and I'm really wondering, did he die for this sin or not? I mean, is this like this sin? Could this sin lead me to hell? I'm not sure. I just need some assurance. He drank all of it. It's done. He left nothing left for you to drink because you could not drink of it. He paid the price for you on the cross so that you could be adopted, so that you could have a relationship with God. This is good news. So that by the grace of God, you get that? By the grace of God. Nothing of the work of man, but by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So there's nothing left to drink. He paid it fully on the cross. So that Jesus is the measure of God's thoughts towards you. Wow. Nothing greater than that. Nothing greater than that. When God looks at you, his thoughts are of his son Jesus. So much in that heart of man that says, but look at me. No, no, no. You don't want God to look at you. Trust me. You don't want God to look at you. No, you want him to see Jesus. That's what happens when you put your full faith and trust in Jesus. He sees his son in you. In your place. So have you crowned with glory and honor him whom the world has cast out? The world said, no, this Jesus, he's dead, right? Can't even see him, we can't touch him, can't hear him. Have you cast all that away and said, no, he is enthroned in my life? And is he receiving from you the devotion and adoration of a worshiping heart? Today, when we came in to sing, I mean, is your heart just overflowing? I know mine was. Truly, as I was standing there, we were singing, I felt like truly I could, I didn't know what else was going to happen. I and mean, we had to stop singing soon because I was so filled with joy and, and all that truth that we were singing. And it is just an overflow, an adoration of Jesus Christ. But it's not just in singing. It's the way we live our life. It should impact everything we do. The way we treat other people. So that when the world looks in the midst of chaos, they see you and they go, Wow. What is it about you? Jesus. It's Jesus. Trapeze artists going back and forth, doing flips. Wow. Going back. And three of them connected together. Wow. Amazing. But what happens if they fall? There's a net to catch them. I don't want you to walk out of this building today, church, and think that the show is all about you because it's only by grace that you live in Christ and it's His grace that catches you when you fall. 
that net is secure. You will fail. I will fail. But we get right back up and we continue to worship Him. His grace sustains us. His grace saves us. Even when it seems like we're falling and there's no rescue, Jesus is there. Order in the midst of chaos. You see before us the table and in the cup, there's juice representing the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus poured out his blood for us so that he would cover our sins. He paid fully for our sins on the cross. There's no other method of payment, no other time that payment will be made. It's already been done. And so you place your faith fully in Jesus. In the basket, there's bread. And we take the bread and we dip it into the cup and, and we eat. This bread represents the body of Christ. That we would eat of him and drink of him. He's our all in all. That we're sustained through his life. That he gave for us. And that he now lives through us. The body of Christ was rejected and beaten. He says even that you will be hated. But remember, they hated me first, Jesus told his disciples. He was hated. He suffered. He died. His body was beaten so that we could have life. That even while we live in the midst of chaos, there is a purpose and we, our bodies can bring glory to God in how we live. And so church, when you come forward today, may you remember these things. As you take the bread and you dip into the cup and eat, you remember what Jesus has done for you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't call upon Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're real, you've heard this message, and it's like all of a sudden you're hearing this clearly, and you say, I want Jesus. That's, that's what's first. Not this table, but that you follow Jesus. Myself and other pastors, in just a moment, we're going to be standing in the back. And so when people are coming to receive communion, you come. Talk to us about following Jesus. But it comes by repenting. It comes by saying, I'm a sinner. I come from the first Adam. I get it. I have failed. I fall short. And only through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, can I have life. I put my full trust in Him. Jesus, save me of my sins. I follow you. Just, you, you, you believe that in your heart. Acknowledge it with your mouth. Follow Him today. We're here today to talk with you because this table is only for the church. It's only for Christians. And it's not just for Perimeter Road Baptist Church. It's for all those who are a part of the church who have trusted in Christ fully. And we take it seriously. And so as you come, we don't come uh, chit-chatting with one another. And it, we're focused on the cross. We're focused on the cross. It's a, it's a time of worship, continued worship. And so in just a moment, we will come to receive. If you have questions about following Jesus or, or you're not a follower of Christ, we make ourselves available today. To talk with you. And so at this time, can we go into a time of prayer and examination in our hearts, just as we looked earlier in the service, if there's anything, any bitterness, any stubbornness, anything that we're holding on to, may we just submit that to the Lord and may we focus as we come to this table and all that has been spoken today for the glory of God as it relates to this time as well. Let us focus on this at this time. Father, in the midst of this examination, we ask that you bless this bread, you bless this cup. 
we thank you that we do this in remembrance of Christ Jesus. May our attention be fully upon you now.